It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade back with you for another week in this uh, pandemic period in our lives. But the good news is we're turning the corner in a lot of states and a lot of cities, giving some hope for standing up for our country again, our economy again. Uh, well, the rest of the world is suffering through virtually the same thing for different degrees. Taiwan loses it, uh, kind of misses it. Uh, the European Union afflicted with it. And of course, it's spread to um, we have lost 50,000 Americans, which is almost as much as the Vietnam War, over 50,000. And 27 million have filed unemployment claims in the last five weeks. What's going to get us out of this? It's going to be the vaccine, ultimately, a therapy immediately. And right now, finding out different areas with holding on to social distancing and the protocols that we all know about, different areas to stand up and get our businesses back on their feet to the best they possibly can. And we'll also... Uh, this is the time in which people are deciding about colleges. Do I go back to a school that can't accept me in the fall and makes me do remote learning? Am I paying all this money to sit in my room on my laptop? Maybe I take a gap year. There's a lot of things going on. And I'm watching West Point graduate in June, and I'm saying to myself, can you please explain to me why other colleges can't, uh, can't graduate? When, is it just the military academies? We could do it too. I imagine high schools, junior high schools, and colleges must feel the same way. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So I think most Americans are shocked to learn that so many of our basic drugs are made in China. We need to stop that. We need to bring it back to the United States and get it out of China. So we would give incentives to companies to build new plants here, create more jobs here, so we're not dependent on China. Yeah, I would say so. Tom Cotton, very aggressive. Time to continue the breakup or at least should we pretend to make up, will bring you the latest, including one senator who you just heard who believes the virus was targeted at us. Number two. I think as we begin to reopen the economy in May and June, you're going to see the economy really bounce back in July, August, September. You're seeing trillions of dollars that's making its way into the economy, and I think this is going to have a significant impact. With 24 million out of work, which what is the timeline for an economic comeback? We'll look at the effectiveness of the rescue packages and talk to some of the leading experts in the world about what a comeback would look like. Number one. Well, at this point, if you go state by state in half of the country, the numbers are still rising day to day. And about another third of the country, there seems to be a leveling off. This virus is going to be with us until we have a vaccine. And that is true. We don't have one yet. Opening up the states, the challenges, the action, and the emerging downside of waiting. So let's look at what's happening. Five states already partially open. Within 10 days, five more states will phase in. Colorado, Mississippi, Minnesota, Montana, and Tennessee see somewhat of an easing, all different degrees. You know you're living it. Also, Georgia, Oklahoma, Alaska, and South Carolina have already moved in. Uh, meanwhile, there's a lot of criticism for some who did it and a lot of salutations from others hoping for the best. That's me. Uh, I don't know what's going on in Georgia. I can't tell you exactly what's going on in Oklahoma. We're lucky enough to have great affiliates there to help us or Florida. 
but I'm pulling for you. I'm amazed at all these people that don't seem to be. So as I mentioned, Arkansas has non-essential outpatient procedures. To me, when it comes to the hospitals, come on. Let's, if these hospitals are empty, don't furlough your medical experts, your doctors and uh, your attendants and your nurses. Start bringing in elective surgeries like they're doing. I hope they're going to be doing in Florida right now and other states. That's something easily obtained and switched. Kentucky will begin opening up health care services and facilities. Mississippi State at Home expires uh, today. So they look to do something. Illinois loosened restrictions on some businesses, outdoor activities, and Oklahoma restaurants, dining rooms, movie theaters, sports venues, and gyms will all reopen by May 1st. So that's just some of the color about what's happening. And if people are going to decide that that businesses is ready for business, they're going to go in. If they're going to go to a salon and see it's business as usual, no one taking precautions, no masks, they might not go back. That's called businesses being responsible. That's what we have to get back to, because as Governor Kevin Stitt knows of Oklahoma, uh, you can't be you can't be right for everybody. But he knows that it's you can't keep America on hold forever. Cut nine. The facts in our state are March 30th. We had we peaked in hospitalizations with 560 across the state. Today, we have 300 across the state in our hospitals. And so we think it's time for a measured reopening. Uh, But I also told Oklahomans that we'll be data-driven. We'll continue to watch the trends. And if uh, the percentage of tests uh, start increasing or hospitalizations start increasing, that we'll kick back one of those phases. And we can obviously reserve the rights to back up if we need to. And that's important. If uh, these governors get mayors that say, I'm a little worried about my town, my city, they can work together. These are adults. Hopefully we're not looking to score political points. If you are, you should be banished from ever holding political office again. This shouldn't be about politics. That's my worry. But the one place you don't see politics is in Colorado. You got a Democratic governor open things up, Jared Polis, uh, and getting some pushback from Denver, the city. Says we're not ready yet. So let's listen to Governor Polis, a Democrat, on CNN, a Democratic station, Cut 13. Yeah, we're happy to work with Denver to increase their capacity. They have a very uh, achievable goal to do. Uh, they have, you know, the, we have a, we're of a very big, diverse state. So Denver, 2,500 cases, that's like 5% of their population. Uh, and, that, you know, as you know, some of these, some of these are, are under diagnosis. It could be more than 5%. We also have counties in our state with zero, like Bent County. Uh, we have counties with a very low rate, like Mesa County. So uh, one of the very first counties that was hit hard, Eagle County, uh, actually request that was one of the you know Vail world class ski areas uh, skiers brought it in from across the world it's been one of the first to emerge from the stay at home phase uh, through a request by their health community their hospital their commissioners to leave the stay at home phase a few days ahead of the rest of the state they've been very successful in their public health effort and we're cooperating closely with counties across the state to meet their needs well it's it's true they're trying to do it i think you do it and if health clubs aren't going to be uh, having arrows on the ground, taping off uh, certain ellipticals, taping off spacing when it comes to the um, uh, the uh, treadmills. If you don't have people on the ground with spray bottles, especially in the freeway area, you're probably not going to go. You're going to go, hey, listen, can you give me my money back? I'm not going to pay for this. I'll continue to hop on my Peloton or do sit-ups at home. We're going to pick another place. That's called free market. That's what I think we got to do. You have to try to open up because by waiting you're not, it, nothing stays the same. There's going to be tremendous damage. Even the Democratic governor of New York says, by waiting a long time, 
is going to hurt long, for a long period of time, there is a price to pay for waiting. Cut seven. We see domestic violence going up. We see parent trends in alcoholism going up. We see some trends that say drug usage is going up. Mental health needs are going up. Do not underestimate the stress that this situation has created, the abnormal circumstances that it has created. I don't know if I have a job. I'm not getting a paycheck. The bills are still coming in. I see no light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm cooped up in my home. And I'm under tremendous stress. And then I have this added stress of being in this situation that I've never been before in my life. Yeah, that is a toxic mix. Thank goodness the governor feels that way because I'm worried that he's going to wait so long because he's so worried justifiably about what happened in New York with all these deaths and all this, all these positive tests. But he understands the downside is devastating as well. The, the mayor says, well, in New York City, we're going to work up a plan by June 1st. June 1st? It's not even May yet. Get going. Can you start working around the clock, please? And meanwhile, as I'm going to welcome in Dan Henniger, the deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal, in about five minutes, Harry Katsianis on the latest uh, from North Korea with Kim Jong-un um, re- disappeared. We'll find out if he's dead or alive or what he thinks and what it would mean. I'm going to just bring you to this element of this story, and that's where it started. We're not letting go of where this started and the irresponsible behavior of China. In the big picture, what's it going to mean? When we started seeing clamped down by the European Union on China, they got in there and they convinced the European Union to pull back on their communication. They talked about the deceptive way in which China act when this came out. And in Australia, who wants to do an investigation of how Wuhan, uh, this whole Wuhan virus was exported around the world, They warned Australia there might be a boycott of Australian products in China. So what? Do the right thing, especially if Tom Cotton's right when he said this. Cut 33. I believe the Chinese communist leaders, when they were aware of those facts by mid-January, made the conscious decision not to explain to the world that it was transmissible between humans, not to shut down travel, not to ask for American or other kind of international scientific help, but to allow this virus to escape their borders. Because if they were going to suffer an economic contraction, they were not going to allow the world to continue to prosper and China be the only country whose economy was declining. They might see an absolute decline in their economy, but they refuse to see a relative decline, especially relative to the United States. Unbelievable. So listen, maybe they didn't launch the virus on purpose and they uh, they cracked down big time, but they weren't honest about where it started and where it was going. And they let their people travel around the world and they went to the West Coast. The Chinese citizens go to the West Coast and they went to Europe and from Europe they came here. And that's what really brought New York and New Jersey and to a degree Connecticut to its knees. And the rest of the country is still trying to recover as we try to get testing kits. We got the ventilators, but we don't have a lot of the material. And now we try to restart our economy. That's what I'm going to talk to Dan Henniger life uh, about life uh, with this virus until we get a vaccine. And Harry Katsianis about a real world challenge and a big world mystery in North Korea. And then I'll take your calls, one 866 408-766. Now, remember, if you're not in our area of local affiliates, if you had to travel, if you're lucky enough to have traveled, go to radio.com, listen on the app anytime, or briankilmeetshow.com. 
uh, and you get the podcast on iTunes too. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're with us. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, at this point, if you go state by state, uh, you see that about half of the country, in half of the country, the numbers are still rising day to day. And about another third of the country, there seems to be a leveling off. And only a minority of, in a minority of the country, the numbers are actually coming down day by day. And so I, I don't think it's likely that we will be at that position by Memorial Day. But even more importantly, wherever we are in the epidemic, this virus is going to be with us until we have a vaccine. 
Dr. Tom uh, Inglesby talking on Fox News Sunday, talking about the timeline that we're in right now. But if you look at New York in particular, the worst of the worst around the world, there was 770 uh, 10 days ago. Uh, we lost 367 yesterday. They've been going steadily down. And we're on track for that 14 straight days of decrease, which shows uh, loosening up of the reins. A man who writes about this, thinks about this, and lives this is Dan Henniger, deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal's editorial page. His weekly column is Wonderland, uh, and we appear every Thursday at least. Uh, you talked about living with the coronavirus while we wait for some type of uh, answer when it comes to a vaccine. Is it time to start thinking about that and stop hiding, Dan? Uh, I think so, Brian. Uh, as you say, the, the title of the column I wrote was How We Will Live with Coronavirus. And the key word and phrase there was live with coronavirus. Up to this point, we have basically been surviving it day to day. Most people locked down, staying in their apartments or houses. And I think we've reached the point where it's really impossible for uh, human beings to keep regarding coronavirus as a kind of unstoppable daily plague. It's, it, it has to become something we can grasp, we can get our minds around. We have to establish a kind of equilibrium with coronavirus rather than living in this state of uh, anxiety every day. And I think it's going to be human nature that really gets to the point of uh, getting us back to normalcy. You know, we've been getting mixed messages from the political leadership about how long it's going to be, whether it be another month, whether it be the middle of the summer. And I believe what you saw over the weekend, Brian, is an example of what I mean by humanity reestablishing equilibrium. People in California on the beaches where it was Southern California was about 90 degrees, filled the beaches. And here in New York, even perhaps the most locked down city in America, it was a beautiful day Saturday and Central Park filled up with people. It's kind of like a rising ocean tide that's just streaming out of these lockdowns and trying to get back to normalcy. And of course, we see the examples of barbershops, hairdressers. Uh, grocery stores, restaurants beginning to open up, even churches opening their doors so people can come in and pray privately. So I think against the lockdowns, you're seeing a lot of Americans just sort of pushing, not so much protesting. Those people are the canary in the mine shaft. The rest of us, I think, are just sort of pushing right. outward and inevitably going to renormalize this country. I, I Listen, no, no one's saying uh, wants to be irresponsible, but we've gotten school, went to school on this. We know how to do it. You want to wear You go for a walk and, and you know you're going to be in a situation you can't control. You wear a mask. You want your own business to open up. You saw what supermarkets did. They have arrows telling you where to go. They keep a certain distance from where to shop. So you have uh, up and down directions in the aisle. If I could do that for that, why can't I do that in a sporting goods store? Why can't I do that in a coat, in a coat store or a... Or a um, you know, a Kohl's. Let, let's stop being unnecessarily restrictive. There's restrictive and unnecessary. Why can't I play tennis again, but I can play golf? I don't know if you've seen, but there's a certain distance between tennis players. I mean, that's just to me is being uh, uh, unwarranted, un- unwarranted, uh, an unwarranted crackdown. And I think people are yeah. rebelling against it because we're being we're being controlled like children in many cases. Yeah. And, you know, as well, uh, let's go back to when this began. The argument given to us was that we were supposed to flatten the curve to avoid the hospital system collapsing. And Americans went along with that by the millions, right? 
Uh, that was the suppression strategy, and we accomplished that goal. Hospital capacity is returning to normal in most places, and in many places it was never an issue. And now, as I argue in the column, a kind of moral argument is emerging equal to the coronavirus, which is that there are a lot of backed-up surgeries for cancer, heart conditions, and other serious medical ailments that are making an equal moral claim on our time. And uh, that is going to emerge as well. So I think the coronavirus, uh, Brian, is just going to have to become eventually another very serious crime. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share disease that has to live alongside a lot of other serious claims on hospitals and uh, the American people's time. Dan, lastly, real quick, the hospitals is the easiest thing to fix. If they've been empty for a long time, don't furlough your nurses and doctors. Fill them up with people that need to be there. Don't make your hospitals go under because of a wave of coronavirus victims that aren't coming. Yeah, I mean, that would be the ultimate grim irony is if uh, the lockdown started and they are starting to uh, collapse the healthcare system around the edges. That's the last thing we need if we're going to emerge from this uh, intact. And so, again, Brian, I think the American people are commonsensical. They're, as you say, they're not going to do things that are all really dangerous, but I think they're going to self-manage and self-release themselves from uh, the situation. You go to the Wall Street Journal for a lot of that. Dan, I love your perspective always. Dan Henniger, thank you. Uh, coming up next, the mystery of North Korea and their leader. Uh, is he dead? Is he incapacitated? Or just in need of a break to eat more? Harry Katsianis joins us. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There are a lot of of worst case scenarios. Uh, If if there's a regime collapse and a struggle for power, uh, unknown actions by military factions warring against each other, uh, there's concern that there could be an explosion in the sense of North Korea lashing out against its neighbors or an implosion with the the regime collapse and instability. Uh, That said, you know, Mm. we were equally concerned during the two previous uh, successions of the father and the grandfather when they passed away, and the system worked. There was a a maintaining of of stability. So I think it's more likely the regime will maintain itself. Well, sadly, uh, Bruce Klingler, Heritage Foundation Asian Studies Center, talking about what will happen if Kim Jong-un died or is incapacitated. Would his sister take over? Would his wife take over? Would his half-uncle take over, one of the few uncles he hasn't killed? Uh, joining us now is Harry Katsianis. Uh, as you know, uh, Harry's a common guest here and one of the leading experts on uh, Korean studies with Nash- uh, for the uh, study of national interest. 
Uh, Harry, welcome back. Uh, everyone's talking about Kim Jong-un, not seen since April 14th, missed a major thing with his grandfather's uh, birthday. Uh, a train has showed up at a compound, his train, outside that compound. What do you think's going on? Hey, good morning, Brian. Well, it's, it's tough to know. I mean, the reports are all over the place. We, we had reports late last week that from, from MSNBC that were deleted with, within minutes that he was brain dead, according to at least then two U.S. intelligence sources. Uh, there's been rumors that he died of COVID-19. So the rumor mill is all over the place. I think the most logical explanation now, and this was actually reported in Korean media, which hasn't been translated yet into English, so it doesn't really hit the U.S. media, is that this might be essentially a, an extreme form of social distancing on Kim Jong-un's part. I mean, we know through at least a lot of anecdotal evidence, Brian, that North Korea is suffering from the coronavirus. I mean, you're starting to see pictures come out of Pyongyang with a lot of people on masks, you know, N95s. I mean, the people there are taking this very seriously. So I think the most logical explanation right now, until we know something else, is that Kim Jong-un is probably in hiding from the coronavirus. He's at his, his family's estate, which is very secluded from the rest of the country, his own private doctors, hospitals, military attaches. That seems like the most likely explanation, at least for now. Well, uh, I just think they always put out video of walking around the compound and even saying that as opposed to not around at all and missing some major event like that. I saw one speculation that he wanted to start disting himself and separating himself from his father and grandfather, but I doubt that. This originally came out of the Daily NK, which is a, a website front in, located in Seoul uh, that is littered with North Korean defectors. Uh, they said he has cardiovascular, a cardiovascular element. You write that they said originally they had multiple sources, but then they said it's down to just one source. We don't know um, for sure, but he's really fat. He smokes a lot. He's 36 years old. People that have been around him says he wheezes on any type of exercise at all. We know in 2014 he went into seclusion, came back using a cane. So he would be a ripe target for this coronavirus Oh, absolutely. I mean, if he was to come down with it, I mean, I'm no health expert. I'll say that up front, but I think it's pretty clear. I mean, his body mass index is something around a 45. He's five foot seven. He's 300 pounds. Obviously, the stresses that that man is under, you know, having to deal with, you know, the state of his country, mass starvation, now being hit with a pandemic of the coronavirus. He's obviously under a lot of pressure. That's 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 pretty obvious. So for him, if he was to get this, I I mean, it's very, very clear that he would probably get sick, most likely die of it. And then we'd have to worry about who the successor is, which I think would be his sister. And the reason I say that is because she has a pulse on the money and she's one of the leading experts on actually beating U.S. sanctions. So knowing that she has that that expertise seems like she would be the most likely candidate. Well, how does uh, the North Korean culture view women? I mean, do they, do they view them like the Islamic culture where not in a million years would a woman ever be appointed, let's say, leader of Saudi Arabia or Kuwait? You know, that's a good question, Brian. A lot of people are asking that. The, the thing that's important to understand is, is that the North Korean people have only known one ruler since North Korea was founded, and that's somebody of the Kim family. Whether it was Kim Il-sung or Kim Jong-il or now Kim Jong-un, it's always been a Kim. But it's never been a female. And I would actually, I would argue that the, the only person who could take over that country in its present form is Kim Yo-jung, his sister. Reason being is, is number one, she has that, that family connection 
where the Kims, you have to remember, they're worshipped like gods. They're worshipped like Joseph Stalin back in, you know, the 1930s or 1940s. They're idolized in pictures. I mean, that that's, that is essentially their, their sun, moon, and stars. That's the only way to even explain it. So for a general or some sort of military person to take over, it just doesn't seem logical. Now, there'll be people who will be upset because it is a female, but I think it would be a lot easier for the North Korean people to understand that, it's, that they have that continuation of leadership that they've known all their lives. I think if you look at all the scenarios, Brian, that's really the only one that makes sense. Plus, she has control of the money. And we always know the person that has the control of the money has the most power in any political system. Right. I guess he's got a wife. Uh, she's good as a contender and a half uncle. Um, so he's looked at as contender. I guess we'll see. One thing you, people like you always point me to is, are there any military movements? And there has been none. So if they thought there was going to be a threat on the government or that he was in a incapacitated or, as one Japanese media source said, a vegetative state, they said that automatically the military would move. They haven't. Do you agree with that premise? Well, the, the, the history on that is mixed. When, when there's been different successions before, it, actually when Kim Jong-il died, uh, there was no military movements. In fact, you know, he had been missing for several days. People start to inquire what had happened. We didn't know anything until North Korean media actually announced it. In fact, it's, it's kind of funny, Brian. Uh, the South Korean defense minister was literally having a briefing on the state of South Korean military readiness when it was announced that Kim had died. So th- there's a lot of weird little instances of things like this happening. So I hate to say it, and this sounds very amateur, we're probably not going to know he died until it gets announced. Until then, my friend, the rumors are going to keep swirling and, and keep swirling. Which is interesting because South Korea is the one saying he's fine and everybody else within it, you know, in the media events are not. So they're, they're going on the, they're erring on the side of let's be cautious about this. So let's switch to China if we can. By the way, Chinese doctors evidently came in, according to Reuters, over the weekend. They don't know if it's to care or to operate, but they've been monitoring that. So something's going on. So I'm looking at China and how they've acted since they poisoned the world with this Wuhan virus. Number one, letting everybody travel to Europe and to the West Coast of America irresponsible to a degree New York. We know we're suffering the consequences there. We also know they cracked down on the European communications that was saying that the Chinese were being deceptive about the virus. We know they threatened Australia. The Chinese ambassador reportedly is warning Australia not to do this probe into how the coronavirus spread or else that maybe China would boycott their products. So they're trying to use leverage not to be blamed and use a lot of their uh, PPE and other things in order to help and save blame. But are the, is the yeah. rest of the world dumb enough to fall for this? Well, of course. I mean, I mean, think about some of these different countries, Brian. I mean, they, they owe China billions of dollars that the Chinese buy, especially think about Australia. They buy billions of dollars a year of their coal, all of their natural resources. Uh, Greece, they're, all their ports and everything are, are controlled by the Chinese. They bought them after the Great Recession. So there are instance after instance of all these different countries who either owe money to China, their infrastructure is built by China, their telecommunications are built by China. So that's a problem. But there's bigger problems here, Brian, I think that a lot of people are forgetting. We have to remember the amount of different consumer goods that the Chinese build and send all over the world. I mean, all you have to do is go to Walmart and look at TVs by TCL, 
Those are actually made by Chinese state-owned enterprises, and they're in millions of homes in the United States. Chinese routers, specifically by Huawei. Huawei can make 5G telecommunications equipment, but their routers are starting to go into U.S. homes. So I'm not trying to raise some, some big threat here and saying the Chinese are going to use you know, consumer electronics to hack us, but I think we need to be a little bit smarter about the things that we buy and the things we consume as consumers, but also those who are in the U.S. U.S. government who might be buying these things and not even knowing that they're so built up by the Chinese, right. because you could see a scenario where the Chinese and you know any sort of struggle in the United States would use any advantage that they can. So I think it's important that we recognize some of these these small things that are out there that we're not seeing as trends because they could come back to bite us. And I think it's important. Uh, right. I think big things, and I don't think it's got to be. We got to notice. I think it's got to be a massive movement. And I think it's got to be something that the politicians don't just run on. We do because the American people have bought into the fact that we're so vulnerable with medicines and everything else. Uh, here's what Kevin McCarthy said yesterday. Cut 32. Now we see a own study by Southampton that had China been honest with the world, 95 percent of this never would have happened. Uh, what China has done has directly led to American deaths. And this is where we should have started long ago. And w one thing we should learn from this pandemic is never put ourselves in this position again. Look what Japan is doing. Yeah. Japan is pulling back those companies from China. We should do the same. Our allies could as well. And we can make the world stronger and never be in this situation again. Yes, right now. And I think, uh, you know, Germany's come out and condemned them. Uh, we've seen the U.K. mock them. Uh, Canada has owned up to it, but they haven't taken strong action yet. And if we continue down this way and start putting, pulling massive manufacturing out, Japan decreed manufacturing should be brought out of China. And we should do the same thing. And I think the American people would back it. You know, Brian, I think they would. And I think we need to start thinking of a plan on how to do that. I think the most important thing is, is we need some sort of public relations strategy to get the ball rolling. And I actually think there's a very simple way to start this. Any good that is manufactured in China or the majority of it is manufactured in China, assembled in China, however you want to do it, if it's made in China, I think there needs to be a sticker on every product that comes to the United States that says made in China in big letters. This way, when Americans go to make those choices, whether that it's at Walmart or Target, exactly, they'll be able to make an informed choice. I guarantee you, Brian, if you do that, there will be a massive shift in consumer thought and in, in, in purchasing overnight. And that, that is the only way you're going to do this. You have to empower consumers to make good decisions. And I think there would be millions of Americans who would spend a little bit more to buy that American-made product if they had a choice, or at least they'd be able to make a conscious choice. I, I think that's one very easy way to start this. But, I mean, when they'll find out their Nike sneakers are there and their Apple iPhone is there, uh, they'll see that everyday products are going to be a very tough choice. Maybe going to go with something like New Balance, who I believe off the top of my head is the only American sneaker company that manufactures in America. But that'll be the type of all-in approach. Now, the electronic companies are extremely nervous about this because right now they don't have a plan B when it comes to the number of engineers needed to assemble their products. India tried to do the Apple iPhone. They basically backed out of the contract. It was too complex for them. So I know some products are almost impossible to pull out, but there are others that aren't. And maybe if they want on a long-term plan, there would be. Harry, thanks so much. We'll need your expertise as we try to find out what's happening to Kim Jong-un and we find out where this terrible relationship is going with China. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Brian.
All right, well, 1-866-408-7669. I got some of your emails over the weekend. I'll get to them. I also uh, want to hear from you. Uh, this is time now to uh, begin to open up states. Are you in a state? Are you in a city that's about to open up? Will you go and patronize that the bar, outdoor cafe, uh, the sports store, the salon, the tattoo parlor? What are you looking at? What will you do? Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. 1-866-408-7669. I got a lot of emails uh, from you guys. We know uh, over the weekend, a couple of them. Uh, this one is from uh, This one is from um, Paul. Paul says, Brian, with your comment this morning on Fox uh, and Friends saying that J- Joe Biden is 77 and looking for someone younger who is strong, look up age discrimination or at least refrain from scolding Biden for gaffes. You just did one. That's not a gaffe. He's 77 years old. If you think that a, the vice presidential pick is anything but essential to him getting elected or not getting elected, you are crazy. How much did Sarah Palin, how she was ill-equipped to help John McCain hurt him? Why? Because McCain was looked at as older, needing someone younger, so something happened to him. Sarah Palin was a governor of Alaska with charisma but no experience or world knowledge. They said, you just hurt Barack Obama. You had one lever over Barack Obama. That lever was your more experienced. So he picked Joe Biden, and you picked someone inexperienced. You just left the level the playing field on one of the one, uh, one areas that uh, you had the advantage of. And anybody who's seen Joe Biden knows that he's anything but set if he does get elected. A second term? And if you're not going to look at Joe Biden for a second term, you are got to be looking at the vice president as a leader to start that second term in order to stop a Republican from getting in office. There is nothing about age discrimination. We've got to stop with this, uh, this sensitivity. It's a joke. Um, how about this? Susan writes me from Ohio. There's a uh, Facebook page that says it's hosted uh, by Governor DeWine. Uh, that says, uh, hosted by Governor DeWine, says this is really an incredible view of the disconnect. It says, hashtag Ohio Spirit Week. He's going to be hosting it. If this is real, if this is real, it's an incredible view of the disconnect between the governor and what is happening to Ohioans right there with let him eat ice cream, Nancy Pelosi. Well, I guess you could say that he was just trying to uh, pick everybody up a little bit, but not everybody is uh, is buying it. So I guess that's an important thing. Um, let's take a look at the phone calls now. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Let's go out to Jeff listening online in California. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Brian. Um, I live in Mariposa, California. Ever since this pandemic started, we have zero cases, zero deaths, zero nothing. And we're still being punished like the rest of the state on lockdown. My only suspicion is because we're a Republican county, and that's why. Well, let me ask some. Uh, what's the name of your town again? Mariposa, California. We're next to Yosemite National Park. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, right now, they just did all comprehensive, nobody go anywhere. I know some of the people flood us to the beaches, but with the numbers going down like it is, even the governor of New York says, I'm going to open this up region by region. They yeah. should open you guys up, right? Yeah, right. And the thing is, I'll be honest with you, 
Um, my wife works for a local garbage company. Back to the end of December 1st of January, she had, they had four drivers and their supervisor out sicker than a dog. And they are 100% sure they had the virus back then. Well, the thing is, it, it hurt me immunity work because, you know, we all went back to work and did what we did. And you know what? Zero deaths, zero cases. We must have done something right. I know. You did. Let's go out to Fred listening on uh, KMTR. Hey, Fred. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, I just want to ask a question. Uh, if, you're, if we're going to be wearing masks, why do we have to be six feet apart? I mean, give because us an option. I, I know. I, I guess can't. six feet and masks is enough. Put it this way. they got to get their story together. First, they told us not to wear masks, right? Now they're telling us you got to wear masks. Okay, take your time. And now they're saying stay six feet apart with, with masks if you're in an uncontrolled social uh, situation. So, uh, listen, anything that helps, then the N95 masks, we hear it great, good. But if you're driving with N95 masks, we had somebody pass out behind the wheel and smash their car because they passed out because you're not able to expel the carbon, uh, carbon dioxide in your system. So that's a little thing you might want to include. Plus, if you're driving, I'm pretty sure you don't need a mask. I would, I would say that, not being a doctor, positive, especially if you're alone. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. we got a lot to discuss. Don't go anywhere. Stay safe, everybody. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's I know it's been a, a very odd weekend. Every weekend, every day is a little bit different than the next because we're in the middle of an unprecedented pandemic in modern times. Uh, and it's really slamming into the area we're located. We're live in New York, but heard around America. But most people look at the fatalities in New York and nothing compares to it. I mean, the numbers are still uh, staggering to look at. But get this, 367 lost their lives. uh, And that's a tragedy on Saturday, but leading to Sunday. But that's an all-time low. It's the lowest since basically late March, which shows how much progress they've made in New York. They're also sending away the the comfort ship is leaving New York Harbor. Shows it's not nearly as bad. We're also giving away ventilators. It shows we turned the corner. And uh, but that makes that whole May 15th deadline seem something that's kind of real as opposed to something that's going to change real quick. In New York State, 280 to 288,000 cases, 22,000 deaths, 158,000 cases in New York City, 17,000 deaths. And 94 percent of those are have one underlying illness and are over 65. So is that something to keep in mind as we start seeing these reopenings happening around the country? Uh, that's also something to keep in mind, uh, especially when it comes to New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. With 50,000 dead, it's something very serious. But we're also having a graduation. West Point is graduating on June 13th. The Air Force graduated two weeks ago. Why are they graduating and we're not? Uh, in Duke or the LIU or Hofstra? It makes no sense to me. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
So I think most Americans are shocked to learn that so many of our basic drugs are made in China. We need to stop that. We need to bring it back to the United States and get it out of China. So we would give incentives to companies to build new plants here, create more jobs here. So we're not dependent on China. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that is uh, Senator Tom Cotton. Time to continue this breakup or pretend to make up. We will bring you the latest, including one senator that you just heard who believes the virus was actually targeted at us. Number two. I think as we begin to reopen the economy in May and June, you're going to see the economy really bounce back in July, August, September. You're seeing trillions of dollars that's making its way into the economy, and I think this is going to have a significant impact. Uh, yes, with 24 million out of work, what is the timeline on an economic comeback? We're going to look at the effectiveness and rescue packages and what might be coming next. Number one. Well, at this point, if you go state by state in half of the country, the numbers are still rising day to day. In about another third of the country, there seems to be a leveling off. This virus is going to be with us until we have a vaccine. Uh, there you go. Uh, Dr. Tom Inglesby, uh, Johns Hopkins and uh, Bloomberg School of Public Health, opening up the states, the challenges, the action and the emerging downside of waiting. All these doctors, all these scientists, they have a proclivity to wait. They want things perfect. You have to have economists in that room because there is a downside to waiting. And there's no doubt about it. Michael Goodwin knows that. He writes for The New York Post and Fox News uh, contributor. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Michael, for the longest time, we're just talking about the dangers, social distancing, what we have to do to stay safe. Of all people, Governor Cuomo came out and said, look, there's a problem with just waiting. Uh, There's a downside to just waiting because uh, there's a price to pay uh, for that. So he actually brought that up on Sunday and he talked about some of the things that could be taking place uh, if, in fact, you're going to uh, wait for everything to be perfect. And here's what he said. Cut seven. We see domestic violence going up. We see parent trends in alcoholism going up. We see some trends that say drug usage is going up. Mental health needs are going up. Do not underestimate the stress that this situation has created, the abnormal circumstances that it has created, I don't know if I have a job. I'm not getting a paycheck. The bills are still coming in. I see no light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm cooped up in my home. And I'm under tremendous stress. And then I have this added stress of being in this situation that I've never been before in my life. Governor Cuomo making a lot of sense, Michael? Oh, absolutely, Brian. Um, I think he's also... uh speaking as the governor who just had to refashion his budget uh, for the coming year. The the New York State fiscal year began on April 1st, and so he's already had to remake his budget, uh, subtract uh, somewhere in the order of 8 to $10 billion of expected revenue. And so I think the governor is seeing the impact of the economic shutdown that he and other governors imposed um, in an effort to slow the spread. Uh, so, yes, I, I think that you can feel it, Brian, in those remarks. You can feel it and see it in other governors and, and of course, in the president, who has been speaking about this for a while. It does feel as if the, we're turning a corner now, that, that the 
uh, emphasis is now on how and when to reopen rather than <clears throat> what are the yeah. what are the additional steps we can we can take to slow the spread so i think we're we're sort of past that point now where we'll do anything to slow the spread and we now recognize that the we cannot keep shutting this economy down the government cannot print money fast enough to fill the holes of this uh, economic shutdown. I mean, there's just too much need. There's too many people who want to get back to their lives. And, And you see it in these protests. I mean, these are people, they're not asking for the government to give them more money. They're asking to go back to work. They want to go back to their religious services. They want to go back to a normal life. And you, and I have to say, uh, you and I are in the New York area, and we see the devastating impacts here of the coronavirus. But around the country, what they see primarily is the devastating impact of the economic shutdown. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to talk about the the president and his press conferences, but I also want to get to your column with focus on the nursing homes. If you look at how New Jersey's been pounded and they have been uh, pounded, they're number two in terms of uh, deaths and, and cases. And New York is like no other with 22,000 having lost their lives out of the 50,000 in the entire country. New York City, 17,000 alone. But what's going on in New Jersey and their nursing homes is criminal. Well, and and I have to say, Brian, New Jersey and New York did this exactly the same way. And I think that uh, any kind of uh, postmortem on the deaths uh, in the aggregate will lead people to the conclusion that this was a, a humongous policy mistake. What they did, both states, and I have seen the direct the, the directives from their departments of health, they made it impossible for nursing homes and rehabilitation centers to deny admission or readmission to any person with uh, the coronavirus. They even made it a case of discrimination if you even asked that they be tested before you took them in. So a soul, you could not deny them a bed solely in on New the York basis. In New York and New Jersey? Yes, both of them. You can review their orders. One, the New York order came March 25th. The New Jersey order came March 31st. And I think when we are done counting, we will find the disproportionate numbers of deaths in nursing homes in both states. And it's not that the people who were sent there died. Uh, the people who were discharged from hospitals and sent there. It's that the infections that they brought with them killed many of the people already in those nursing homes. And, Brian, it is, it is unthinkable that this policy continues still. Now, let me just say, if I can just quickly uh, explain, when people are released from the hospitals, they are no longer in acute conditions. They are what's called subacute, and they're, but, but they're not ready to go home. So they, they need sort of a halfway house. 
And that's how they have used the nursing homes and the rehabilitation centers, which is what they do normally. If you have a, 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 a new knee put in, uh, you don't go straight from the hospital to the home. You go to a rehabilitation center. If you have a heart attack, same sort of thing. You, you leave the hospital when you're no longer in danger of dying or something horrible happening, and you go someplace to continue to mend. You're stable. Uh, and so that's fine if it's a heart attack or a stroke or a new knee. But when it's the coronavirus, you're still contagious. And a lot of these places, particularly in New York, it was sprung on them without any warning. They woke up one morning and they had to start taking these people. And they had no way to segregate them. They had no separate staff. They didn't have enough space to even different floors or different wings in some cases. They didn't have proper equipment. But they had to take these people immediately. Gotcha. And so I think when we get to uh, the counting at the end, we yeah, will see aftermath. a disproportionate number gotcha. of people died as and, a result of these orders. And New Jersey nursing homes make up 40 percent of the total death toll. So that's pretty tragic. So the president is going to, on his pressers, he'll have one today, didn't have one over the weekend. We know about his famous bleach comment that he said was sarcastic. He was just thinking out loud because, to his discredit, he evidently does not attend uh, the meetings and only gets his remarks about 15 minutes before he walks out. So they heard about this Homeland Security secretary who came up with this, who found out about this, in- this incident with sunlight does and ends up falling downstairs. So the president gets really upset as a series of angry tweets about it. Uh, but he tweets this out. What is the purpose of having the White House press conferences when the lamestream media asks nothing but hostile questions, refuses to report the truth or facts accurately? They get record ratings and the American people get nothing but fake news. Not worth the time and effort. Two hour press conferences are not worth it. The briefings are. Uh, do you think he should continue with them? No, uh, I don't think that means he should uh, not show up at all, but I think they've just become too long. I mean, briefings are briefings, right? They're not marathons, they're briefings. Keep it brief. Uh, I think that uh, taking 20 or 25 questions from the media is insane, Uh, three or four or five. I think he's also made a mistake in sort of letting the, the Washington legacy media, the White House press corps, have a monopoly on this. You can use technology to open this to the media around the country. Let other people ask questions. Don't just let it be NBC, CBS, uh, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. Let it be the whole country. I mean, I think the president came to Washington. Hey, Sean Spicer did that. Yes, yes. The president came to Washington, Brian, to change the culture. But... I think in some ways he he thought he could do that single-handedly. He could just, like a lion tamer, uh, tame the media. It didn't work that way. And I think the president needs to accept the New York Times is never going to say a nice thing about him. They're never going to see anything positive that he does. I know. Ditto for all the others. So give up on it. Stop trying to defeat them, because really what you're doing is defeating yourself. I mean, I think the, but, but you know the what president bothers me, Michael? Loses. You know what bothers me? It seems like this generation of his staffers, no one's telling him that, that he listens to. I mean, where's Melania to say, hey, listen, this looks terrible. I don't care if you're right. This looks terrible. Where's Mark Meadows saying, do you see your approval ratings go from 54 to 43 in a week? This is everything to do with those pressers. I don't understand where is the injection 
of logic. He had 44 tweets and retweets on Sunday. There's got to be something better for him to do. Brian, but I, I don't think you can blame any others. I think you, I think the president uh, is famously doesn't listen to others. That's his strength in, in many ways. It's also his weakness. And I think this, I, I, I don't know what advice he got. Uh, I certainly uh, uh, wished he had changed sooner. Uh, but eventually he came to the conclusion that it wasn't working and, and he's changing it now. But uh, look, the president is his own man. I mean, I think, uh, you know, without that strength, uh, without that sense of independence and willfulness, uh, he would not have been elected. He would not have gotten many of the things done. By the same token, he'd have a lot less wounds on his body if he had listened to other people, too. So it cuts both ways. It's a package deal, and he is who he is. Got it. Uh, okay, Mike, it's going to be an interesting time. Michael Goodwin, uh, we'll see if we get New York opened up again. I'll maybe see you in the office. That would be a nice right. change. That would uh, be nice. You got it. Uh, it would be. Uh, thanks, Michael. one 408 Stay safe. Uh, well, take your calls next. And then I have Chad Wolf, Department of Homeland Security, Acting Secretary. He'll be telling us what FEMA's doing uh, and everything else. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Some countries did respond very quickly and get their testing in place and they avoided the incredible economic pain. And it's sad that even the U.S. that you would have expected to do this well, uh, did it particularly poorly. But it's not time to talk about that. But this is the time to take the great science we have, the fact that we're in this together, uh, you know, fix testing, treatments, and get that vaccine, minimize the trillions of dollars uh, and many things that you can't even dimensionalize in economic terms uh, that are awful about the situation that we're in. So that's a distraction. So the attack on China by our government, which is just a pointing out how irresponsible they acted, exporting their infected Wuhan residents on the world, is a distraction? Still not understanding where this virus came from is a distraction? I know uh, Bill Gates is very rich and very smart and really studies this. Great. But to say that we have had a very terrible response and that China is really had a good response and it's a distraction to bring up what I think is a terrible response is uh, really one, uh, to be charitable, one-dimensional. Jacob, listen on WVMT in Montreal. Jacob. Yes, hello. Um, I think if you, if you want people to buy American as opposed to Chinese, you have to have a law in place that forbids undermining the market by up to several hundred percent. In other words, if you want, if you want to compete with, uh, you know, your, your, your neighbor, the price difference should be no more than 20 or 30 percent. Otherwise, it becomes, you know, unworkable. People are naturally going to be drawn to the much lower prices. So that's the first thing you really have to do. Right. And uh, have them stop stealing technology and to that nature. But I also think that if people had a choice, they'll pay a few extra dollars for jeans or, uh, or electronics if they thought it was made in America. Erica, listen on WLAD in Denver. Connecticut. 
Yes. Hey, Derica, how are you? Fine, thank you. Um, my point is, everybody thinks that the vaccine is the magic bullet, um, but with previous flus, by the time they came out with the vaccine, that was for last year's flu. By that, by this year, the flu had changed, and the vaccine wasn't helping. And I'm afraid that's what's going to happen here. Everybody says, oh, the, the vaccine, the vaccine. And it may not be the, the answer after all. But, it's, but I will say this. They do plan for what they think is going to be the strain of the year. Two years ago, it was wrong. And uh, when it comes to the coronavirus, they're not finding much, muta- much mutation. So if it's going to come back along with the flu, you got to think we're going to have something in place by then. And then maybe able to go to baseball games, football games, and everything else. When we come back, I'm going to go out with Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf. And then Charlie Daniels joins us about what he's doing to help out. Brian Kilman. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. But at the same time, we have to realize that we have to have a breakthrough innovation and testing. We have to be able to detect antigen rather than constantly trying to detect the actual live virus or the viral particles itself and to really move into antigen testing. And I know corporations and diagnostics are working on that now. We have to have a breakthrough. This RNA testing will carry us certainly through the spring and summer, but we need to have a huge technology breakthrough, and we're working on that at the same time. So that was uh, Dr. Deborah Burks uh, over the weekend. Kind of surprised me with that statement. I thought it was a matter of getting the reagents and the swabs together with the tests and the 15-minute tests, not the five-day tests, and that was going to be the ticket. But it doesn't seem to be that she thinks it's going to be the long-term solution uh, Chad Wolf joins us, Department of Homeland Security, he's acting secretary there. Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. No problem. And Chad, were you surprised to hear Dr. Burke say that she needs, if we want to ramp up testing, which FEMA, which is under your supervision, uh, under your instruction, if I thought FEMA getting swabs and tests to as many markets as possible was the key. She says a breakthrough is the key. Do you agree? Well, I think there's two things that she's talking about. One is, as you indicated, making sure that we're getting all of the swabs, the reagents, and all of the the critical materials to those testing locations. And that's certainly something that FEMA uh, continues to be invested in, and and we're doing that on an everyday basis. And then two is sort of that uh, next technology advancement that the doctor is looking for and that she's she's very articulate on. So I think it's a two-step process here. We'll continue to surge our, our current testing capabilities, continue to bring on those commercial labs, uh, but I think what the doctor is saying is, is to have a bigger impact. She's looking for that next generation uh, technology from a testing standpoint. So, uh, so, Mr. Secretary, when you hear we need more swabs and the president a week ago said, um, do you use the, de- the Defense Production Act to commission those swabs? That is something that you would oversee or FEMA would acquire? That's correct. So FEMA would uh, would be certainly involved in that along with HHS uh, and others to make sure that 
Uh, we're able to source uh, those materials, those swabs or the reagents from the, uh, the appropriate uh, vendor, making sure that we're getting those into the hotspots and we're getting those out there. So we do this on a daily basis, making sure that we are uh, culling those, uh, those companies that make these. Uh, and we have a whole team set up at, at uh, the NRCC, which is FEMA's coordination center led by HHS, Admiral Girard, who is in charge of testing, uh, and they're pushing forward every day, talking with all of these vendors every day on how do we scale, how do we accelerate, and how do we make sure that we have those, uh, the swabs, the reagents, and all the other materials that are needed. I want you to hear what Governor Hogan said, cut 14. I mean, the president said over and over again, I mean, yes, yes, that we should have more assistance from the federal uh, government on testing. I think we finally have driven that message home. And this week, just yesterday, we had another call with the vice president and his team. They've made some progress on making some more labs available, on trying to ramp up production of tests here in America. But, um, you know, for quite a while, the governor, uh, the president has been yeah. saying over and over again, testing is a local thing. Governors should go out and get their own tests. Right. So we spent about a month with my wife's help getting a half a million tests from uh, from South Korea, which was uh, going to save thousands of lives in our state. But also, I'm not sure it should have been that difficult. Uh, could you bring us through that description? Is, is that the way things go? And did he have to that he had to go to South Korea, is that a, is that a uh, show of failing of Homeland Security Sec- the Homeland Security Division? No, Brian, I think you've got a couple of different things uh, that's going on here from a, a testing standpoint. I think it's critically important to think about uh, what's occurred, and that's a lot at the beginning, a lot of what the administration did, the White House did, uh, along with the FDA and others, has cut a lot of red tape to make sure that we could push this testing out. If you recall, we inherited a testing regime that was based on uh, state uh, relied upon um, testing facilities. And what we've done is we've expanded that not only through the, the state systems, but also the commercial labs. And I think part of what the president's talking about and the administration's been talking about with governors is making sure that governors understand the capability and the capacity in each of their states. And what we have found from time to time is a lot of the governors didn't understand what their different both state and commercial labs within their individual states were capable of doing. Um, And so it's been an education campaign in part. And look, a lot of these governors didn't have to deal with this before. So uh, again, part of this is educating them, uh, making sure that they understand how the systems work, what capabilities they have in their states, uh, and then then moving out. We are doing a lot, I would say the federal government, FEMA, HHS, and others are doing a lot to continue to push testing capabilities to each of these states. Uh, But I think the point here is we need to make sure that the governors are invested, that they understand what they need to do, they need to understand their part, uh, and that they are doing that on a daily, daily basis. So you guys made news last week when the president came out and tweeted out that we're going to be stopping immigration. He has since amended it to a degree. Can you give us an idea of who's allowed in and who's not? Sure, absolutely. So the the executive order temporarily suspends the entry of new immigrants uh, coming into the U.S. And these would be individuals that would be able to work uh, in the U.S., compete with Americans for jobs, basically any job in any industry. So what the president did is he temporarily suspended that for uh, 60 days. It's a reasonable, it's a short-term measure uh, designed to make sure that we get Americans back into American jobs Uh, as we come out of the pandemic and the economy uh, keeps rolling. So, again, it applies to new immigrants. 
These would be individuals that are overseas that were uh, slated to come into the U.S. mainly for a job. Uh, it does not apply to uh, immigrants that are already here or a number, we have a number of other exemptions in there mainly focused on uh, individuals that are supporting the COVID-19 uh, response. So those would be medical professionals, medical researchers, or other essential critical workers that are, are focused on responding to COVID-19. So uh, in other words, if you're coming here to be a, a, get a work visa, you still might be able to work on a farm, right? If you're a student, can you come back and continue your college education should we get that ability back on campus, let's say in the fall? Right. That, that's right, Brian. So students can still return. Again, we're, we're focused here on, on individuals coming in uh, to take uh, for employment that would compete with Americans who are, uh, you know, unemployment rate. I, I think we got 26 million Americans uh, unemployed as a result of COVID-19. So this is focused on those coming into work. So students can still come in, uh, visitors, tourists can still come in at the appropriate time. And as you know, there, there's a lot of, not a lot of this is happening at the current moment. So this is really looking forward, but it's really those individuals right. that are coming in to work. Now, the second half of this, Brian, is what you mentioned, which would be the, the non-immigrant or the temporary workers. Uh, the president in that executive order directed the, the Department of Homeland Security as well as the Department of Labor to take a, a look at those um, temporary worker visas and come back to him in 30 days with a set of recommendations. So that's what we're currently doing. We're taking a look at H-1Bs, the H-2Bs, the H-2As, all of the uh, sort of the, the temporary worker visas, and there's many more, uh, to see what kind of, uh, what kind of uh, any changes that we should make to that. Mr. Secretary, can you bring us inside the process? Did, uh, did you say to the president, this is my recommendation, and did he sign off on it? Or was it, hey, guys, I want to round up uh, what's going on with immigration because of jobs? Or did this just come from Stephen Miller that the president signed off on? Can you bring us inside the chain of command? Sure. No, it was a, it was a uh, sort of a robust discussion, not only with the Department of Homeland Security, Department of State, the White House, and a number of other entities. So it, it wasn't any one individual. It was the collective uh, recommendation to gotcha. the president uh, that, again, we have 26 million Americans that are unemployed. We hope to you know, start to soon phase open uh, the country, bring, uh, bring these uh, small businesses back up and running, and we need to make sure that um, Americans are employed. And so we wanted to take a look at uh, sort of a first step, and this would uh, to curtail new immigrants coming in that would compete with Americans for these jobs. And then the second set would be what other steps that we need to take from a temporary worker visa program uh, perspective. So we're doing all of the above. This is the first step, the first phase. The president's been very clear about that. And over the next 30 days, we'll continue to take a look at, at additional measures. But to answer your question, Brian, this was a, a, a robust discussion uh, and the consolidated recommendation from a variety of folks. And lastly, Tom Cotton, I know you got to run. Tom Cotton is proposing we start banning Chinese students from getting visas to come here because as the communist country, they come here, they train, they come back and they turn a lot of their knowledge against us. Would you be against that? Well, we certainly, from a Department of Homeland perspective, uh, we're certainly very concerned regarding the number of visa programs that, that Chinese students uh, can use to come into the country and study and stay and eventually work. Uh, we see some of these 
programs have uh, potentially been abused in the past. So this is work that's been well underway at the department. So I know Senator Cotton's very outspoken about, about China uh, and his concerns. Uh, the department has also been on this issue for uh, a period of time as well. So again, we'll have a, a, a series of recommendations that we'll be teeing up. And some of those could mm -hmm. include uh, students on what we call a couple of different OPT and CPT, which is our optical practical training, um, and a lot of those are utilized by Chinese students who could who could potentially stay here and work. Uh, so yes, it is a uh, it is a concern that the department's highlighted as well. Absolutely, uh, you got your hands full. Huge department. Uh, His acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf. Chad, thanks so much. All right, thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, he's got a full day ahead of him. one 408 7669 Listen, when we come back, we take a break and talk to uh, country music icon Charlie Daniels. He's announcing uh, who he's teaming up with to make a difference with our vets. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Hi everybody! Welcome back. Those are the music, and, and the, those are the words, and those are the, uh, and that is the voice of Charlie Daniels, country music icon, of course, great friend of the show and the network, uh, and he's doing some great work through this very difficult time. His nonprofit, uh, Journey Home Project, is partnering with Code for Vets to help the vets who have been inordinately afflicted by this pandemic, like all of us have, uh, but they're especially vulnerable in many cases. Uh, Charlie Daniels, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me on this morning, buddy. Hey, what, uh, what prompted this is, as we all hear shelter at home, famous icons like you and average everyday Americans are in the same predicament. When did you realize that, that vets have a real challenge on their hands? Well, you know, vets always have a real challenge on their hands. But as, as this thing kind of tightened up, they were, of course, they were out in the workforce. They were losing their jobs. Uh, some of the traditional sources of, of help that were dry, had dried up because of the lack of funds. And uh, we just got to looking around. And we, we've been aware of this uh, outfit, the Code of Vets, for a long time. It's run by a lady named Gretchen Smith and her husband, Joe. They're both veterans. And they just have a, a great rapport with the veterans, and the veterans identify with them so well. And they get requests from people. It's amazing, Brian. I mean, it's just it, over this time, of course, our request and their request have gone way up. But I'm talking about people that need money for groceries. It's like it's just a very basic so like to pay the rent for a month, to pay the mortgage, to, you know, take care of a medical thing or something. Just day-to-day, very basic needs. And uh, they're so good at answering. They're, they're able to get to the individuals actually better than our organization is so we decided one of the best ways we could spend our our dollars in this limited time was to partner with them and and get to these individual vets that need so much help but you'd be amazed at how many there is yeah i mean in one way uh they're trained to act in times of crises like they're the most valuable men and women 
because they know oh, how to yeah. be resourceful. They know how to take orders. They know how to organize. They know how to lead. So it would be a shame if you're going to be hiring people to take charge, especially even medical workers. A lot of them have medical backgrounds. That's where you should tap into because they love I this agree. stuff. I agree with you. I, I uh, You know, the, the 99.9% of the veterans just literally hate asking anybody for any help at all. I mean, they're very proud people, and, and they're very resourceful people. They have a reason for being that way, because like you said, they're very resourceful. They're very self-reliant and very responsible. And for them to have to actually ask somebody for grocery money is a tough, tough thing for them to do. And, I mean, it's, uh, you know, single mothers with a child. It's uh, just all kinds of people, wounded people, very healthy people who have lost their jobs. And, you know, this makes it doubly bad. I'm 83 years old, Brian, and I've lived through wars and all kinds of things. And I have never, ever in my lifetime seen anything that approaches this. And I remember back when we had polio and all these different diseases. You didn't want a lot of kids playing together and that sort of thing. But it Nothing like this, and this thing touching the whole world like it does. So we're dealing with a, a, a new thing here, and uh, you know, I'm hoping we learn some lessons from it or, and start being able to deal with anything else like it that comes down the road. But this has been a tough one, and especially on you know, people get squ- squeezed out of a job or, or some kind of a way yeah. that they ordinarily were getting paid. And it's, it's, it's a mess. It's not just the vets. It's everybody. But the veterans are so, like I said, they're so proud. They just hate to ask anybody for anything. So when you get a request from a veteran 99.9 times out of 100 times, it is something, it's desperation. It's not just, it's not just they're looking for uh, a handout or something because they don't take handouts. And where do we go to help? Code of Vets. Journey Home Project, they're both we're working together. Uh, I'm a chairman of the board of Journey Home Project, uh, or, and uh, but I, either one that anybody wants to contribute to us, I'll go to the same place. Uh, if you like contribute via the Code of Vets, it has a website, uh, Journey, Home Foundation, Journey Home Project rather, has a website. So if anybody would like to help out, uh, we would be very glad to have it. And we appreciate you helping us get the word out about the need, uh, Brian. It's, uh, Absolutely. It's not you, you, you folks at Fox have been awfully good to us, and we, we appreciate it very much. And you've been asked to, to, to real quick, uh, Tennessee is going to loosen up a little bit. How hard has this been on you, uh, Charlie, and other performers? Because you live for people and performing. There's just no way to do it now. Well, I am chomping at the bit, you know, to get, to get out and start start uh, playing for people. And I'm hoping we'll go back to work the last part of June or in July. But actually, this thing to me, I'm way out in the country. I'm between two patches of woods as I talk to you here. And coming home to me, I've uh, it's it's not like you know being in an apartment or being in the city or being in a neighborhood or something. I have no houses real breathe. close to me or anything, and I can breathe. I can get out and walk for you know walk for hours and in circles and not ever see another human being. So it's not. I'm blessed. God has blessed me with being at the exact place on earth that I would want to weather this out at. So I'm here with my wife, and we're sheltering in place. And it was funny. My son came to see us that day. He was wearing a mask, you know. <laughs> Signs of the times, man. <laughs> Absolutely. I know. we got to get used to it. Uh, Charlie Daniels, yeah, sure. thanks so much for the great thing you're doing. Uh, Codeofvets.com. Uh, you can donate right there. And the journeyhomeproject.org. 
is uh, Charlie Daniels uh, Group. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, meanwhile, uh, keep it here. Brian Kilmeade, Joe, don't move. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I know you have a lot of choices. We appreciate everyone flocking to this show. Uh, we don't take it for granted, and we appreciate you being here, especially on a consequential week after consequential week like we're witnessing right now. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Charles Payne next, bring us up to date in the economy, and then Brett Baer, tell us about the political ramifications of the president, his uh, updates, his briefings, as well as the uh, Joe Biden and how he's gotten a pass, especially on the sexual assault thing. Look. Last thing we know, the need in this country is another sex, sex scandal. But since when are you deciding as a media just to, like, forget about this one? I mean, I don't really think that that's, uh, that's fair and balanced. But what, why should I expect anything different? So those two will be joining us this hour. We're also monitoring uh, what's going on at the White House, what time his briefing is going to be today. I really look for the president to change a lot of that. And do you also wish to? Uh, I kind of think so. Also, we found out the president will be appearing in June at the uh, West Point graduation. And I think it's great. And I'm glad they're having a graduation. But I'm just wondering, can the rest of the country graduate? If the West Point can pull it off, can we possibly pull it off as a country? There's a lot of high schools, a lot of colleges, not exactly West Point, but important colleges and graduations. I think in this terrible year, that we've witnessed so far from Kobe Bryant's death to the pandemic, rise of this pandemic, to the end of impeachment. Can we possibly do something positive? Uh, I would like that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So I think most Americans are shocked to learn that so many of our basic drugs are made in China. We need to stop that. We need to bring it back to the United States and get it out of China. So we would give incentives to companies to build new plants here, create more jobs here. So we're not dependent on China. Wow, Tom Cotton making it clear. Time to continue this breakup. That's what I think. We'll pretend like we're going to make up because we have so many products there and we are in this together for the moment. We'll bring you the latest. Number two. I think as we begin to reopen the economy in May and June, you're going to see the economy really bounce back in July, August, September. You're seeing trillions of dollars that's making its way into the economy, and I think this is going to have a significant impact. Uh, that is Steve Mnuchin being optimistic with 24 million out of work. What is the timeline on our economic comeback? We will look at the effectiveness of the rescue packages and what might be coming this week. Number one. Well, at this point, if you go state by state in half of the country, the numbers are still rising day to day. And about another third of the country, there seems to be a leveling off. This virus is going to be with us until we have a vaccine. Uh, There you go. Uh, That is Dr. Tom Inglesby saying I'm a little worried about the amount of states opening up and cities uh, because we still have challenges and actions need to be done. I personally think it's worth the risk. Because we're looking at a situation where a lot of Americans are going crazy. Uh, Domestic abuse, sadly, is up. Alcohol abuse is up. Drug abuse is up. And you'll hear from the experts on that. 
But I also think it's important to know that the whole country's open up. All these governors know that this responsibility is theirs and that we gave them a criteria from the federal government. So work with it. See if you can do it. Now, easing restrictions today, Arkansas, non-essential outpatient procedures, about time. Hospitals got to open up. If those beds are empty, stop furloughing medical workers. Put people in there that need the medical attention. Colorado, retail stores may reopen for curbside delivery. Real estate showings, good. Child care, personal services providers, elective surgeries, good job. In Kentucky, we'll begin opening health care services and facilities. In Mississippi, stay-at-home order expires today. And maybe they'll just open the whole thing up. In Florida, stay-at-home orders expires uh, April 30th. They've already opened up some beaches. We've seen the video and some other places. Idaho, some retail stores and daycare or daycares, organized youth activities, camps, places of worship. Man, would I love to do that in New York. Illinois, loosened up restrictions on some businesses. Maine, stay-at-home orders flat out just expire. Uh, Oklahoma, restaurants, dining rooms, movie theaters, sporting venues, gyms, place of worships can reopen May 1st. That's Friday. So that'll be big. I'm going to keep my eye on that. Everybody's focusing on Georgia. A lot of these states are doing exactly what Georgia's doing. And among the people that know that if there's a problem with just locking people at home is Governor Cuomo. He said it yesterday as well. Cut three. News today on the numbers uh, is relatively good. The dissent continues, and that's a very good starting place. We are now back to where we were on March 31st, before we started this dramatic increase in the number of cases. Overall hospitalization rate is down. The number of intubations is down. Even the number of new COVID cases is down, still not good. Still 1,000 new COVID cases yesterday. It's only not terrible news compared to where we were. So... If these numbers come down for 14 straight days, that'll bring us right before May 15th. My hope is for the people in this region, which is the epicenter of this whole thing in this country, because evidently Europeans came here after the Chinese went there and they infected us. And of course, with our mass transport system, transportation system from buses to subways to trains, we all just gave it to each other. Some got immunity. Some didn't even know they had it. We didn't even know what it was to begin with. No wonder the president said, you want me to shut down the country with 100 cases? We didn't know other people had it and we're not suffering from it. When 94% of the people that lost their lives to it had underlying conditions. So some in the prime of their life with them who were lucky enough not to have underlying conditions were able to survive and spread it. Cut seven is the ramifications of doing this week after week watching people's lives fall apart. We see domestic violence going up. We see parent trends in alcoholism going up. We see some trends that say drug usage is going up. Mental health needs are going up. Do not underestimate the stress that this situation has created, the abnormal circumstances that it has created, I don't know if I have a job. I'm not getting a paycheck. The bills are still coming in. I see no light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm cooped up in my home. And I'm under tremendous stress. And then I have this added stress of being in this situation that I've never been before in my life. Yeah, that is a toxic mix. Thank you. And that governor, I fear, is going to be too reserved in opening things up. We want to take risks. 
not unnecessary. I get it. Governor Christie in his Washington Post column said this. We need to accept that life in the United States will not be without risk until a vaccine for the COVID-19 is developed. American people intuitively understand this, and they've never asked for a risk-free life, right? We all have to take responsibility for how we move forward because that's what we do as Americans. We move forward in the face of fear and unknowns because we believe in each other. The nation must be shown a realistic, persuasive road to recovery and not the fairy tale of Vice President Pence that in June everything will be behind us. The reopening must be calibrated in a way that assures worker safety, that will demand creative thinking by employees, employers, about touchless services. And that's what we got to do. Individually, those delis, the health clubs got to do establish your own criteria. If I walk into my health club and they haven't done anything, maybe I'm going to try a new club. I'm just going to say, listen, stop, uh, stop my membership. Maybe I'm going to work out at home. Or maybe I'm going to walk in that restaurant and I go, wow, I love what they've done. They're making the effort. I'm going to make the effort. Maybe they see what's going on with multiple seatings in restaurants. They're going to go ahead and do it. At your workplace, they're probably rearranging your desk right now to make it a place that you can go to and feel good about it. It's a mutual deal. But staying at home in a cocoon doesn't work. And that's what the Oklahoma governor, Kevin Stitt, said on Fox News Sunday. Cut nine. The facts in our state are March 30th, we had we peaked in hospitalizations with 560 across the state. Today, we have 300 across the state in our hospitals. And so we think it's time for a measured reopening. Uh, But I also told Oklahomans that we'll be data driven. We'll continue to watch the trends. And if uh, the percentage of tests uh, start increasing or hospitalizations start increasing, that we'll kick back one of those phases. And we can obviously reserve the rights to back up if we need to. We got great stations in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. I want to hear from you. A lot of people should not be penalized if they don't feel comfortable going back to work. So there's got to be a way to do that. Some people say, listen, I'm not comfortable. I have asthma. I had a lung operation. I smoke, whatever it is, uh, circulation issues. If I go back now and I happen to get it, it's too much of a risk for me. Employers got to be flexible. Employees got to be flexible. It's a mutual deal. Don't look back and wait to sue. Stacey Abrams, who's desperate to be the vice presidential nominee of, uh, President, uh, of Vice President uh, Biden said this about Georgia. Georgia's about to open up. People in Atlanta are upset about it. Other cities are upset about it. The president wasn't happy. I look at Governor Kemp and say, listen, if you assess it's worth the risk, this is your report card. I'm with you. But listen to her. Cut 11. I give President Trump no credit. He actually caused this challenge by tweeting for weeks that we should liberate our economies. And when someone took him up on it, he did as he normally does, which is been to what he thinks public opinion is. But the problem is that Georgians are at risk. We have the 14th highest infection rate, the seventh slowest testing rate. I spent Friday on a call with more than 200 people having a conversation about Southwest Georgia, where they still don't have adequate access to testing, they don't have the medical facilities, and they don't have doctors in a lot of these communities. We are not ready to open, and this is a dangerous decision. We cannot open an economy she's, uh, when the people okay. who... She, she's, over, she's, she's overstating everything. I give her credit for saying something politicians never say. She goes, oh, I want to be vice president. Good. It's kind of a relief. Uh, she denied it for a year and a half. I don't want to be vice president. Uh, for me, she lost an election. She doesn't admit to it right there. 
uh, you basically lost a lot of credibility with me. You lost to Governor Kemp. You don't like the job he's doing. That's fine. You can be critical. That's fine. But don't say I didn't lose. You did lose. No one suppressed the vote. It's already been proven. For people to jump on that bandwagon because celebrities picked Stacey Abrams and still lost in Georgia is flat out wrong. Georgia's going to have a challenge on the Senate side because they have a jungle uh, primary uh, and they have a jungle election. So you have uh, two or three people or four or five people in it, the top two uh, if the one doesn't get a certain amount of vote percentage of the vote, there could be a runoff. Uh, Doug Collins has got the popularity, uh, but Governor Kemp put Kelly Stauffer there, who now has insider trading allegations to fight off. So that's going to be a tough state anyway. The president coming against Kemp, not going to help anyway, complicate things. But I'm with Kemp. You want to give it a shot, give it a shot. If, if the cities aren't happy, let the cities take uh, other measures. If mayors want to step in, let's do it. Uh, But there is a downside to this endless, endless lockdown when human beings are not meant to stay inside. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I go inside the economy with Charles Payne, then Brett Baer, then you. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. All these models are based upon health assumptions, how quickly we reopen. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, my, my own opinion is, again, we have unprecedented amount of liquidity in the system. We're very sympathetic to all the people that are out of work, but uh, there is enhanced unemployment. There's the PPP. There's direct deposits. This is going to put a lot of liquidity. And as businesses begin to open, you're going to see demand side of the economy rebound. Is that overly optimistic? Charles Payne is the host of Making Money on Charles Payne. Uh, uh, with Charles Payne, and he joins us now. Uh, at his show is on at 2 o'clock, of course, on FBN. Uh, Charles, is he being overly optimistic? Thanks so much for joining us, by the way. No, no, I don't think so, Brian. Thanks a lot. for It's great being here. I, I think there is a tremendous amount of pent-up, uh, you know, just wanting to get out there, wanting to go to work. You know, I looked at Australia, and they, you know, they're doing, uh, they're using, uh, I think, that Google Apple app to, uh, with Bluetooth, and they opened it up overnight. And 7% of the population within 16 hours uh, downloaded it. I mean, people around the world, uh, particularly uh, nations where, you know, work is rewarded, want to get back out there. So I think there is a tremendous amount of pent-up demand. Uh, I I think there's a demand to work, a demand to shop, a demand to just be free, for lack of a better word. Here's what Barry Diller, uh, of course, he was one of the co-founders of Fox Network, senior executive now with Expedia, said when we when he was played that soundbite from Steve Mnuchin, cut 24. There's no chance. I mean, certainly this summer. I actually think the summer is kind of going to be a Petri dish uh, of all sorts of things. Petri is probably a terrible word to use right now, but there's going to be all sorts of experimenting going on. And we'll experiment with what does social distancing mean when there is no real distancing, certainly in the cities. So I think it's going to be a period where it's going to be a big mess. And by September, possibly, I think, 
you'll see things, some things, economically return. I think people will be going back to work in certainly by Labor Day. And I think that this, to anyone who thinks that this economy is going to bounce, I mean, you'd have to have the idea of a rubber ball not in existence to think it's going to bounce high. It can't. So he's dead. So he obviously is down on it and the travel industry in particular. So you must hear that a lot too, Charles, right? I do, but let's let's just be clear about Barry Diller, right? I mean, his company's IAC. They make almost all their money on the internet, internet connections. So as long as we stay inside, his businesses do better. So let's just add that caveat to it if we can. Um, listen, if you live in New York and, you're, and your headquarters is on a west side highway and that's all you see when you look out your window, there are 16 states that are reopening. Every place is not New York City. Every place is not New Jersey. No, the economy is not going to come roaring back. But I think what the market is suggesting and what people also are saying is that, hey, if we get a chance to go out there and work, we will. If we get a chance to go out there and practice social distancing, we'll go shopping. So, you know, the needle's going to move. It doesn't have to roar back. We know it won't. And we know some industries are picking longer. Boeing's saying it could take two to three years for normal air traffic. So we know that those industries where we're cramped up next to each other are going to take a long time, but others are going to come back sooner. The other thing is, uh, Charles, you must be getting this. A lot of people are going to be responsible for their own success and failure. Will their business be able to, and are they capable of adjusting to this new environment of social distancing and being responsible about where you walk? Hey, supermarkets have done it. Pharmacies have done it. Why can't offices do it? Why can't uh, why can't sporting goods place doing it? Right? Why can't malls? Everyone's going to have to. Yeah, everyone's going to have to do it. Uh, you know what? And I think offices are going to have to have rotation where you have maybe one third of the office in. You put up some partitions. You're going to rip up the way the floorboard floor looks now. It won't be cubicle next to cubicle. But there are adjustments. I mean, we got here. We became the best nation in the world through adjustments. We make adjustments. And by the way, in those adjustments, Brian, will also be opportunities. In, in what respect? Where? I can't think of an industry where there won't be some things that are done differently. Now, I don't have all the ideas, but I do know entrepreneurs are going to be coming up with different things so that people can work in an office together. I don't I don't think it will be some something as, you know, like in a supermarket with those plastic shields. That's a little clumbersome and ugly. It is what it is to keep them safe. But I think you'll see some revolutionary things with the office setting. I think you'll see some revolutionary things with the way we, 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 we use things. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, we won't touch as many things physically so how do we pass them back and forth to each other you know i i've seen i I saw a a vehicle the other day where it's just an autonomous vehicle and the packages it comes to your house and it's a huge vehicle and the packages are pushed out the back like no one ever has to touch it the ups driver doesn't touch it you know someone packed it with gloves on you know so just different innovative things i think are going to happen All right, you got it. Charles Payne, thanks so much. Uh, Inside the Numbers, now Inside Politics with Brett Baer next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
I think that the president is always going to continue to be his own communications director, George. I think we've seen that over the last three and a half years. But I think what the American people need from the president now is for him to appear at some of these briefings off the top, 10 or 15 minutes of announcing whatever needs to be announced that day, take a question or two from the press, and then leave the rest of it to the vice president and the people who are the relevant experts that day. Um, I think an hour and a half or two hours of anybody every day um, is not going to be great for their political standing, no matter who they are and what they do. I would take two and a half hours of Brett Baer, but 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 not as president. Only Brett Baer, the anchor. Uh, Brett, how welcome that is, Governor Christie weighing in on how to make the briefings work. I think it's almost consensus opinion. They go on way too long, and it's it's hurting the president politically because he's in so many arguments. And after two and a half hours, he's bound to say something that the scientific community uh, says they can't go along with. What are your thoughts? Listen, the riffs get them in trouble. They really do. And um, when you're talking about medicine, you're talking about specifics and science, um, going off on on riffs and kind of what ifs, um, you know, you could do in a, a small setting with a, a bunch of experts, but when you're doing it at the podium in front of, you know, tens of millions of people and reporters who are going to grill you on everything you say, uh, that's probably not the best position uh, for leadership. So I think that's what some of the aides have told him, and um, it looks like that's what he's doing. I mean, with the 5 p.m. coronavirus task force canceled today. It is canceled because I heard he was going to do something in the afternoon. It's not going to work? It's not going to be there? No, it's uh, been taken off the, the list. So the 5 p.m., briefing as it was listed is uh, now been taken off the agenda so does it look in that way that the critics won uh i think so but you know you never know with president trump i mean one you know story where it says the critics won and he'll be out there every day so you don't know um i do think that there was you know not a ton new to talk about every day so it did seem you know worthwhile to at least spread them out we'll see what happens right or if you look at what macron has done and what other leaders have done their ratings go up when they almost curate these things as opposed to dominate these things and that might be where the president should probably be heading yeah, listen, um, I think politically, if you just look just pure politically, uh, Joe Biden has seen his polls go up by not being a presence, you know. So when they look at that, yes, obviously you get the bully pulpit of the presidency, but if you overuse it and you're overexposed and people say, okay, here he is again, um, Maybe it's a detriment. We'll see, you know, how they balance this out. I would imagine we'll see the president. He loves to steer a news cycle. Uh, so I imagine we'll see him pop up uh, day to day. I want you to hear what uh, I thought Deborah Burks put it best. It's almost like when I see these scientists in the middle of a news cycle and they can't figure out uh, how much animus is towards the president. I think that's what Chief was saying yesterday, Jake Tapper, cut 50. As a doctor, doesn't that bother you that you have to even spend any time discussing this? 
it bothers me that this is still in the news cycle because I think we're missing the bigger pieces of what we need to be doing as an American people to continue to protect one another. And we should be having that dialogue about asymptomatics. We should be having that dialogue about this unique clotting that we're seeing. And, you know, we're the first country that really had young people to this degree. Italy and Europe is about eight years older than us as a median age. So this is the first experience of this virus um, in an open society where we really can understand what's happening to every different age groups. These are the things that we should be talking about and focusing on. So I think as a as a scientist and a public health official and a researcher, sometimes I worry that we don't get the information to the American people that they need. No kidding. Uh, as an expert, I just want to relay expertise, but I'm caught in the political uh, vortex. And the big story come out of there was the sense to which sunlight will do to this virus, which will bring a lot of hope to us because spring and summer is coming. But what does it come out with the president thinking out loud about would it be great to disinfect our bodies? And that pretty much dominated all weekend. Uh, it really not much of a surprise. How surprised are you, Brett? And the last thing America needs is another sex scandal. But the sexual assault accusation and the new sound from the Larry King show from the accuser's mom didn't make anybody's interview list. I think it's it's pretty scandalous if you compare it to the Kavanaugh treatment uh, and what the media did. I mean, and even the New York Times acknowledges the, the, the disparity between the two is, <coughs> excuse me, pretty stark. And uh, now we are on probably three news cycles uh, and Sunday shows with, you know, people who could have been asked something and they haven't been asked anything. So, you know, I think just for the fairness of looking back at how you covered something else of an allegation that really didn't have anything close to the substance as this one does, I'm not saying that it's a that you know you can believe Tara Reid 100 percent. I'm not saying that everything is you know lining up on the story. All I'm saying is that there's facts, there are data points, and there should be questions uh, as opposed to what happened and comparison or contrast to Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's unbelievable that and and seems as though. When the president does something that's bizarre, they have no problem spending hours on it. When Nancy Pelosi's in front of her multi-million dollar refrigerator overlooking the ocean, while the stimulus package doesn't get signed or debated, she got a total pass on the Sunday shows, too. And maybe that's not that big of a deal, but I think we should get close to some type of equal scrutiny. But maybe that's just never going to be the case. Uh, just moving forward, I think what's going to be kind of exciting over the next few weeks is to start opening up our economy in states and cities. Mayors are battling with governors. Not, you know, not great. Uh, the president battling with a governor in Georgia. Not great. But for the most part, at least it's showing people some hope. So with the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about reopenings and how's it going. That's pretty much a relief, isn't it? In a way, Brett, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, it's a change. It's a, it's a big change. And, and, you know, there's a lot of battle about studies and there are these guys out in california these doctors who are looking at the numbers saying you know the the herd immunity may have been a better call we did what we did with the information we had as a country and now we're coming to the point where 
we as citizens need to have some responsibility, but also the governments need to, you know, nuance, open, uh, so that businesses can at least have some hope that they're going to make some money. I mean, the the balance of health and the crisis of the economy is, is real, and that, that's what we're going to be covering over the next month or so. And also, there's damage being done by sheltering in place and watching your life fall apart. Governor Cuomo brought that up yesterday, cut eight. So when we talk about reopening, getting people out, some activities, a place where people can walk, just something, you know, I say tongue in cheek is the sanity index. But, you know, people need to know uh, that there's uh, an opening, there's a future, that there's hope, that somebody's doing something. And then you need a relief valve just on a day to day basis. So people have some uh, relief in their lives, some vent. And he also talked about alcoholism up, domestic abuse is up, drug abuse is up, um, and people are really uh, getting weighed down by this. Uh, you, must have, you must have been seeing that. If you're not experiencing somebody passing away to this or suffering from this, you're hearing somebody going crazy or losing a job from this, Brett, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a, there's a connection to COVID-19, whether it's a health connection or an economic connection. Um, and everybody, it's not six degrees of separation. It's just a few degrees because uh, somebody's furloughed, somebody's losing the job, somebody's, um, you know, in a health situation. And so, yeah, I mean, collectively, we as a country need to come out of it, but we need to do it in the right way. And I think that that's the, the balancing act. Um, each of these states has to make a decision. And this is the beauty of federalism. Uh, they have to do it by what they see on the ground. And uh, it's not a top-down, nationwide thing. Uh, we're going to see how it works. Question for you. I watched the Air Force graduation come out without a hitch. West Point, they're going to do a graduation in June, and the president will speak. If I'm Duke, if I'm Rutgers, if I'm uh, a, a small school in Pennsylvania or a big school in Wisconsin, I'm putting my hand up and say, what about me? I mean, if yeah. the military academies can show us how to do it, can I do it? Can high schools do it? I mean, you're only a senior once. And I'm yeah. surprised there's not more of a clamor to do this. Well, maybe there will be as, as time goes on here in May, and maybe we see some success. I mean, hopefully. But you're right. I mean, they, those graduations seem to go off without a, a hitch, social distanced, but um, still, you know, very much honoring the the time uh and of course seniors are going to want that i mean each high school is is going through what a zoom graduation is going to look like i mean that's that's tough to think about right now brett i thought it was great to see you in the front row what was that like the president was kind of surprised to see you of the press briefing it was it was good you know we we decided to it was the only way i was going to get on in the days where he was doing it every day um john roberts uh you know, said, sure, come on in. And um, obviously I still have a White House pass from my days there. It's it's different. It's um, the social distance thing is weird. Uh, you get your temperature taken a couple of times uh, before the president comes in. And, you know, it's, it's a really serious time, but it's also a time where he answers questions or did across the board of um, pretty much anything that anybody was asking. Yeah, I mean, it was Back to the Future for you. You know what was so amazing? 
is that when it ended, and who knows when it's going to end, you had about six minutes left in your show. You stood up and nailed the last six minutes of that broadcast <laughs> as if Trump was your lead guest and you just wanted to close out like it was just your end block. I mean, yeah, how I did you plan that? I was looking. I, well, I didn't. I was thinking once we got in it at uh, whatever time we got in at 530 or 540, I figured this is done. The show's toast because the last three times he'd gone till 730, 745. Uh, on those briefings, so I figured this is this is going to be similar, um, and we were prepared either way, whether it was going to be late or or have some time at the back end. But I looked at my watch as he walked out, and it was yeah six fifty five. I said, "Well, I got to stand up and finish this thing," so uh, I just <laughs> turned around and, and, and did, did. Uh, the rest of the show. It was fantastic, uh, and then you trust right to your buddy Martha, and it was everything was set. Brett, do you have now that you know you can plan for a show? Can you tell us anything that's on it? Man, I mean, it's like uh, a whole new world, actually planning for a show that might get on. We've got a lot. Uh, We've got Britt Hume on tonight, which is always good. Um, And uh, we'll have, you know, a wrap-up from the White House. We Secretary Pompeo briefing today. I think the China story is really going to be still very prevalent about what the U.S. is going to do in the long term. Uh, about China. You heard Peter Navarro today saying that China, he alleges, put faulty tests into the U.S. Uh, so it's pretty interesting, the back and forth between the U.S. and China. As Australia gets threatened by China, you better not go through this investigation. Are yeah, you, um, is that a truck that just came by? <laughs> no, a plane flew overhead. Um, oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. No, I'm outside. Right. Decided to take a little walk. All right. He is uh, Brett Baer. Brett, got your show back, uh, at least for tonight, until the president decides what he's going to do. Uh, as long as he doesn't come on on Fox and Friends in the morning, I think we're okay. Yeah, there we go. I'm ready. All right. Brett, go get him, Brett. Thanks so much. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We're going to come back and finish up with calls and find out if there's indeed more to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So we want to unpause. May 15th is when the pause regulations uh, expire statewide. I will extend them in many parts of the state, uh, but in some parts of the state, some regions, you could make the case that we should unpause on May 15th. But you have to be smart about it. We all have to be smart about it. Uh, That is uh, Governor Cuomo moments ago talking about the 15th is not out of the question. We'll do it regionally and with certain segments. He did allude to on Sunday that outdoor construction can get started. Listen, uh, that should never been stopped. Outdoor construction, they usually, a lot of them wear masks anyway. They shouldn't have been stopped. Indoor, I guess, could be a different situation. People got to be comfortable, but hopefully that helps. And then I'm so glad that Governor Cuomo is not just saying it's too dangerous We know New York is dangerous, but upstate is not, and Long Island's getting better and better. So that's great news. 1-866-408-7669. I'm getting some email in, 
Hey, uh, this is from Vince. Vince says, I just heard you talk about Stacey Abrams and you played that cut where she said she made 200 calls on Friday. She said, I was just listening to that soundbite. It's interesting that she said she spoke to 200 people on Friday because if she spoke to each one for five minutes, it would take 16 hours of talking to them, which I'm sure did not happen. Another example of how these people exaggerate. Um, Brian, I mentioned you on your radio show today. Listening to you this morning, you talk about the sudden, oh, suddenly we've got to wear masks. Well, it would, have, it would not be told this early. We weren't told this early because many greedy Americans would buy all the face masks up. Not true. Uh, because then if they wore them out in public, they'd be looked at as taking away from nurses. We've already been responsible. But, and don't, don't lie to us. Say, got to wear cloth because we need, them for, we need them for the hospitals. So let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. This does not surprise me. There's no traffic. So speeding tickets for motorists are driving up more than 100 miles per hour, up 87% in California because there's no traffic. Uh, the, the Highway Patrol says 2,493 citations were written for driving of excessive speed, 87%, running over 100. Hey, it's kind of dangerous, but the Autobahn seems to make it work. Uh, next, Global Citizenship announced an estimated viewership from last weekend at One World Concert together with the Rolling Stones with 270 people tuned in. Congratulations. Hopefully you raised a lot of money. Next, Florida authorities warn of road rage among mating alligators. Around this time of year, Floridians don't just have to worry about aggressive drivers. They should be on the lookout for alligators looking to attack traffic. Interesting way, mating sometimes people look at a positive thing. And a Texas mayor apologizes after violating the stay-at-home order to go to a nail salon. salon. The mayor of a southern Texas city apologized for violating this, her own stay-at-home order. Beaumont Mayor Becky Ames, Becky Ames is seen wearing a face mask as she's seated at a table with her hands in a bowl of water. It's tough. That's why the governor of Georgia says, let the salons open. People need their hair and nails done. And let's get a massage and a tattoo. Maybe all on the same day. What's wrong with that? Hey, Brian Kilmeade, thanks so much for listening. Go to briankilmeade.com. Tell me what you think about this. Don't forget to get the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. And keep it here, the show where you need to, where you got everything that you need to know throughout this pandemic. Stay safe, everybody. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.